Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. We are continuing the series, Glory and Redemption. I'm really looking forward to, as this unfolds, just diving into more and more in the Old Testament. A lot of us, the last time we really interacted with the Old Testament in a way that was deep and meaningful was when we saw a teacher stick flannel graph uh, characters on a board. And so uh, we really want to draw back and look at the Old Testament and understand that it is not some sort of God used to work this way, but in Jesus, now he works differently. Instead, it's important for us to understand that the Old Testament is revealing the glory of God, history by history, but also the unfolding move of God's redemptive plan. From Adam and Eve, where he said that there would be a Savior coming, all the way up to Jesus. The whole history of the Old Testament is God's plan of redemption unfolding And revealing himself and how he works amongst us. And so his glory and mankind's redemption and his love for us are what the whole Old Testament is about. And so as we continue through, we are going to be highlighting certain things and certain histories within the Old Testament to help us see this redemptive plan unfolding. So last week we talked about the Tower of Babel or Babylon at which God took and as mankind sought to be like God once again and to, to not be scattered. They wanted to be, build a name for themselves and re, uh, reject obedience to God's command to spread out and multiply and fill the earth. Well, God came down and he confused the languages and they spread out from there. And so what we see after the Tower of Babel or Babylon is that mankind has got various languages and people groups and divisions. And so over the next couple of hundred years, mankind continues to spread out with different languages and different cultures being birthed. And so the, the, the way by which God will communicate with mankind must change. We've seen previously in the stories of Adam and Eve and Noah and Cain and Abel that God came and communicated to mankind directly as a whole and, and, and tried to to work with everyone, but we're going to see his plan kind of shift and change in response to the spreading out that he has created. Now, because mankind is spread out over the earth, the way that scripture really uh, describes how people are after the Tower of Babylon is that they are confused and scattered. And so that first half of chapter 11 gets us there, and then as we proceed through chapter 11, verses 10 through 32, we are shown exactly how we get from Noah's son Shem to the next major character in our history, and that's going to be Abram. And so this whole lineage is meant to get us from Shem to Abram, and we understand exactly who gave birth to whom that that we might get to Abraham. And remember, there's two different types of genealogies that we see in the Old Testament. Like this one, there are vertical or linear genealogies that just trace 
one specific group or family all the way through to get from one individual to another individual so we understand their history. But then back in like chapter 10, we had a horizontal genealogy that showed us how the world spread out and had differing backgrounds according to the family that they came from. So this genealogy is meant to get us from Shem to Abram. And it really does the heavy lifting here in the last little bit of chapter 11, verses 26 and following. We get all these genealogies, we finally get to Terah, and he is the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. So uh, these are great names if you're you know, looking for names for your kids, your cats, your dogs, uh, a fish. You can just dive into the Old Testament and find a very unique name. Now for kids, maybe not so much, um, just because nobody's going to pronounce their name right. Uh, and for those of you who are struggling and saying, I heard that pronounced differently from a different church I went to or when I was in Sunday school, I'm going to tell you that no one actually knows how to pronounce Hebrew names. Uh, and and that's, that's a little bit of an overstatement. There are certainly those who speak the language well, but most of us, even when we're well-educated in biblical things, we look at Hebrew names and we make it up as we go along. And, and the key to pronouncing names in the Old Testament is to do it with confidence. Uh, not, not to hesitate, not to pretend like you don't know, but just to say it. And you could be like, and everybody would be like, he's so astute, she's so knowledgeable, they must know the secret way to pronounce a Hebrew name. So just know, if you sit back and go, that's not how I've heard it in the past, it's because nobody pronounces Hebrew names the same. We do the best we can based on the knowledge we have. So, so we have Terah, and he has, he's 70 years, it says, and he has Abram and Nahor and Haran. So these three sons by the time he's 70 years old. These are the family records of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. So we, we see there's, Lot is somebody important because he's mentioned specifically. And then it says, Haran died in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans during his father Terah's lifetime. So we've got a family now, a father and three sons. One son has another son named Lot. And then the father there, Haran, he dies. And this all happens in a place called Ur of the Chaldeans or Chaldeans, depending upon how you've been taught to pronounce it. And so we have the other two sons left. Abram and Nahor took wives. Abram's wife was Sarai, and Nahor's wife was named Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now, family trees in the Bible, they don't have a lot of branches, okay? And so as you're reading things, don't be surprised when someone marries, in this circumstance, their niece is what it's, uh, it says that she is. So Nahor marries Milcah, who was his niece. Now, interestingly enough, right, they could have been close in age, and they were certainly close in proximity. And we all go, ew. But the truth is, is there is no biblical mandate to avoid this kind of thing until much later in Scripture. And so this is not something that is sinful in God's eyes at this point in the Revelation. And it's believed that because mankind was not quite so distorted when it comes to our genetic traits it was not as detrimental a thing as it would be today. Today, when you marry of someone of close lineage, you end up compounding shared genetic 
issues. So those of you who didn't pay attention in high school biology, just, just take my word for it. Those of you who did and know more than me, you can correct me in private, please, uh, because I like to learn too. So anyway, we have two men and their wives really noted. Now, I wanted to highlight Sarai. She's Abram's wife, and then it says this about her. Sarai was unable to conceive. She did not have a child. Now, this is going to be important as we see the future of Abram and Sarai revealed to us here in Scripture. So, as, as things begin to unfold, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, Haran's son, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they set out together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and died in Haran. So, this last verse of chapter 11 tells us that this man and his son and his grandson and his daughter-in-law begin to make the move from this place, Ur of the Chaldeans. It's, it's in what would today be Iraq. It would be in this era south of Babylon by about 20 miles. And it's right on the river, and it's, it's just part of that beautiful land, and the Tigris and the Euphrates there, where everything is fertile and everything is growing. And Terah takes his kids and his grandson, and he moves up to Haran, which actually happens to be the name of the son that's dead, right? So, look, everybody looks to unique places for names. So if you've got a kid named Dallas, it's cool. I mean, it's weird, and it's Texan, but it's cool. And, and so it's, it's not a new thing to name our children after places that we love or that we grew up or that are, you know, in our reckoning. So what we see is this beginning journey. It's about 600 miles. It's about 200 hours total to walk this if you were to walk straight through. And, of course, nobody does that. It would be like walking from Pittsburgh to St. Louis, so I, I just want you to kind of get that in your mind. I want you to go ahead and, in your mind, pack up all of your belongings in, a, in a, a trailer that you maybe have an animal to pull, and you are going to walk with that animal and all of your belongings from here to St. Louis. Now, you might wonder, why St. Louis? It's worse than Pittsburgh. It, look, it's just something you're imagining. It's a long trip, though, isn't it? It's quite a journey. So this is what we see Terah and Abram and Lot and Sarai beginning to do. They are walking with all of their belongings in wagons from Ur to Haran. And then they settle there for a period. And Terah, he dies there. Now, some, some just quick things. As we're getting to know these two people, Abram and Sarai, later in Scripture, their names are going to be changed. And so when I talk about Abram, you might be wondering, is that Abraham? Yes, it is. Later on, God changes his name. Abram, is, uh, it means the father is exalted. And it's actually like talking about Terah. So his name was given to him as an exaltation for his father, his physical father. But Abraham is a shift in his name, and it literally means father of a multitude. And we're going to see why here in just a few moments, why that name shift to Abraham is significant. And Sarai, which means princess, her name is changed to Sarah, which is more reflective of the fact that she will be 
uh, a mother of many, but it still essentially means princess. And so we get to then Terah and Abram and Sarai and Lot. They are in a place called Haran, and they are living there. And that's where chapter 12, verses 1 through 7 picks up. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you, since we've kind of skimmed through chapter 11 a little bit, to just go ahead and turn or open up your Bible app and look at chapter 12, verses 1 through 7 with me. I'm reading from the, uh, the Christian Standard Bible, uh, just to remind everybody, it's a translation that came out a few years ago. Remember that all of our Bibles are translations from the original, in this case, Hebrew language. And so our translations might read a little differently, but many, in fact, most of modern translations are all faithful to the original languages, even if by the time they get to English, they come out a little differently. So as I read, it might not read just the same as yours, but all of our Bibles are faithful to that root scripture that we see in the Hebrew. So Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 7, the Lord said to Abram, go from your land, your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the site of Shechem at the Oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And so... We end up with Abram and his family, his wife and his nephew, all together in the land of Canaan. Now, where is Canaan? We'll talk about that a little bit. Let's first look at what we see unfolding in God communicating with Abram. First, in in chapter 12, the very beginning of verse 1, we see this. The Lord said to Abram, go. So, This is the the very beginning of this relationship with God. Now, some things to understand about Abram. Abram grew up in Ur of the Chaldeans. And what would have been the norm there would have been pagan worship of a moon goddess. And so Abram would have grown up in a culture where he was surrounded by false gods. He was surrounded by pagan worship practices, and then all of a sudden, he hears the voice of the one true God. Later on in scripture, it reveals to us that this didn't happen in Haran, it happened all the way back in Ur, when Abram first heard God's voice. And and scripture tells us very clearly that his father was without a doubt a pagan, And worshiped false gods. That's in Joshua chapter 24, verse 2. And so Abram is steeped in this pagan culture. He himself was likely worshiping the moon goddess or another false god as he lived there in Ur. And all of a sudden he hears the voice of Yahweh. 
he hears the voice of the one true God. And this God says to him, I want you to go. I want you to do some very specific things. Go from your land. Go from your relatives. Go from your father's house. And go to the land that I will show you. These, this, these, this, this way that God communicates to Abram, it is loaded with so much in just these few words. He is telling Abram, a pagan who worships a false god, he's calling him out of that culture. He's speaking to him directly and saying, I want you to give up everything and go somewhere that I will show you eventually. I want you to give up your land. And, and, and in this day and age, the possession of land is what made you who you were. If you did not have land, you're a nobody, you're a vagrant, you're a nothing. The, the, your father's home, your father's name is, is what gave you status and standing. So God says to Abram, I want you to give up everything you know, everything you have done, everything that makes you who you are. I want you to give it up and I want you to go someplace and I'll show you where it is eventually. This is the kind of setup where most of us would go, yeah, I don't think so. I'm not giving you my credit card number for that. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it, this is a complete setup to get taken advantage of from our perspective. And yet, this is exactly what God is asking of Abram. Give up everything. Give me control of everything. And eventually, there'll be a reward. Eventually, we'll get to where I'm going to take you. And God doesn't stop there. He continues to unfold exactly what it is that will take place. So Abram is given this command by this God that he had, according to Scripture, we don't have any indication he's heard from him previously, but this God finally speaks to him. The one God, the God, Yahweh, speaks to him and says, leave everything and go where I'm going to show you, and here's what I'm going to do for you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great. Every one of these promises correlates to one of the things that Abram was required to give up in the command to go, to, to become a great nation after having left the nation in which he was born, to be blessed after willingly giving up his, his standing there in culture, and to have a great name after having abandoned the name of his father and of his family. So God says, everything that you give up, I'm going to give back to you one day. And he gives him a second command. You will be a blessing. It's interesting as we read this in English, a lot of times we don't see that there's actually two commands, two things that this, this God that is speaking to Abram for the first time out of a pagan culture, asking him to give up everything. He gives not just one command, go, but a second command, you will be a blessing. In other words, there will be a job for you. 
you will be blessing other people. And because you are a blessing, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So we've got these two commands. First, go from everything to a place that I will eventually get around to showing you. How many of us, we get a God we've never heard from speaking to us to drop everything and go to a place that we don't know are going to sign up for this? Oh, oh, me, me. Sure, God, I'll do that. But he makes Abram a promise. He says, I'm going to make you into a great, great nation. I'm going to bless you. And you'll be a man of significance in recompense for everything that you've given up. Just come and follow. And then I want you to go out into the world and I want you to be a blessing. And he says, I'm going to bless those who bless you and I'm going to curse those who curse you. And eventually every person on the earth will be blessed because of you. Now this is, this is a huge command. This is a, a great, big, amazing calling out. And remember, let's put it in the context. This is Abram, who grew up in a pagan culture, who everything that he had was wrapped up in his father's name, in the land that he owned, and where he was. And he was being asked to listen to this God who just came upon the scene and spoke to him. Which, by the way, it was probably the first God who'd ever done that. Because he's the only God. And asks you to give up everything. Asks him to give up everything. And to serve a special purpose. How many of us, if we heard the voice of God, and he tells us to give it all up and go, and then I've got a ministry for you, our first response would be yes. Most of us, our, our, our first response is going to be something more along the lines of, well, let me pray about it. Let me think about it. Let me talk to my family. Let me do this. Let me do that. Here's what Abram did. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Can you wrap around your head around that to, to, to say there's a God speaking to you from the first time, the one true God, and he calls you out and he says, give up everything and go and take up this ministry to represent me, to bless the world. Would you just drop everything and do it? seems what Scripture's trying to help us understand is while we don't see the exact time frame, that's exactly what Abram did. Now, did it take a month or two months or two years to, to get everything together, to get going? It doesn't say. But it does say, in the instant he hears the call, he's willing and ready to obey. So he does what God told him. His nephew Lot goes with him. And here's how old the man is. He is 75 years old when he left Haran. Now, most of us, we're looking at 75 and we're going, I am fully retired. It's golf. It's a boat, maybe. It's a, a car that's really fast that I'm going to drive really slow. And, 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 you know, it's just that, that we've got big plans for what's going to happen by the time we're 75. Now, granted, in this day and age, men and women will, were still living into, to be 120, 130, 140, but still, 75 is no spring chicken. 
It's late middle age at this point, even for someone who's going to live longer than we do today. And what's interesting about Lot and Sarah, I mean, excuse me, Abram and Sarai, is that they have no children of their own. And what do we know about her? That she can't have kids. That's what scripture says. She is barren. She is unable to have children. And so the two of them, God says, leave everything and I'm going to build a great nation of people out of the two of you and I'm going to bless you as you bless others. And they didn't go, yeah, I don't think that's going to work, God. I mean, I'm old. She's old. She can't have kids. I'm old. We got plans. No. They do what God told them. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they'd acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Now you might read here and say, all right, so they took all of their possessions and they took all of their people. Wait a minute, why did they have people? In this day and age, it's not uncommon for wealthy individuals to have servants. And servants who were likely indentured to them. In other words, they were paying off a debt and serving a certain amount of time in order to satisfy that debt towards a wealthy person. And so Abram is fairly wealthy because he's got possessions to take with him and he has got servants that are going and making the trip with him and they're heading out for the land of Canaan. Now, the second leg of the journey from Haran to Shechem, it's about 400 miles, about 130 hours of straight walking. It's like walking from Pittsburgh to New York City. So, hey, let's go to New York. We'll visit Broadway. It's going to be great, but we're walking. No, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I mean, just, it'd have to be the voice of God. First of all, to get me to New York, and second of all, to make me walk. But here they are. They're making this journey. The Pittsburgh to New York City, three or more weeks to walk. That's a lot of life on the road with wagons and tents and animals and servants to make this journey from Haran to Shechem. So here we have this old pagan wealthy dude and God speaks to him and says give up everything and come follow me to the place I will lead you someday and I'm going to do great things with you how many of us would dive in and say oh me yeah that sounds great now what is this going to require it's going to give up require giving up everything he ever believed about what he thought was true in religion it's going to require abandoning his name. It's going to require abandoning his lands. He does get to take with him possessions, and he's got some servants. But this is really just a fresh start to a place that they don't have any idea where it is or what's going to happen. But God tells them, go to this land of Canaan, this place where the Canaanites still live. This isn't like manifest destiny where there's this empty land and we've we got to go settle the empty land. People already live here. And yet God is promising this land to Abram. And he's promising this land to Abram's descendants. And so it's a big deal what happens here. It's a big deal as this unfolds, this history. Hebrews chapter 11, we call it the hall of faith many times. It's this recording of all of the men and women of great faith in the Old Testament and how their trust in God resulted in great things. Hebrews 11.8 says this, by faith, or a, a 
devoted trust in God that was resulting in full submission. By faith, Abram, when he was, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out even though he did not know where he was going. <laughs> My family, all of us are control freaks. I mean, every one of us, the whole Chambers clan. And I'm not just talking about the people who live in my house. I'm talking about every house that is blood-related to me. Every household, we are all control freaks. And I think, I think the biggest question that needs to be answered anytime the Chambers clan gets together is, what are we doing today? Where are we going? And what's for dinner? I, I mean, what's for dinner may be the most important thing. Oftentimes, because you need to plan have a plan B for dinner, because mom might not make enough. But, um, I love you, mom. But the thing is, that, that there is this, this thing where we need to know what's going on. Uh, my own children, what are we doing today, dad? We don't have any plans. Yeah, but what are we doing? Are you like that? Abraham wasn't. He didn't even know where God was taking him, and he just walked by faith. He said, I hear your voice, I believe in your power, that you're real, that you're worthy of my trust. And he did exactly what God asked him to do, by faith. And faith isn't a blind thing, but it is a complete thing. And it is a, a full submission to the one you have faith in. It's interesting, uh, we sang the song just before the message, just that refrain, Amen, Amen, Amen. May your kingdom come, may your will be done, Amen, Amen, Amen. Now, this is not a, a quiz to determine whether or not you get into heaven, but do you know what Amen means? It, it's not a magic Christian word that, that say, that, that's like, I put it on there so God will answer all my prayers. It is a declaration that we put at the end of our prayers, that we say together as believers, and it simply means, so be it. Or, Lord, let it be like this. And so when we say, your kingdom come, your will be done, amen, magic things happen, right? No, it means, that's really what I want, God. By faith, I'm asking for this to happen. Because I want you to be in charge, and I want your will to be done, and I want the things in you, that you want from me to come to pass. And that's what Abraham wanted. God said to him, go and do, and he said, amen. And then he walked it out. So be it, God. Let me be faithful to you. Let me be in obedience to you. So this is what the, the last little bit of chapter 12 that we read says, when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the site of Shechem at the Oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And then, get this, at the beginning, what did God do? He spoke. But here, following Abram's faithfulness and his obedience, his willingness to sacrifice and surrender, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. God didn't just speak this time. As Abram was faithful, as Abram walked and did what God asked of him, as he surrendered 
all these things that, that were good in his own eyes, but God said to let go of and, and come after him in faith. When he did that, no longer did he just hear God speak, he got to see God's presence. He got to see God face to face. Now, it doesn't say exactly how God appeared to Abram. It doesn't say, you know, in all of his glory. First, that couldn't have been because he would just been like, dead, is what scripture tells us. No one has seen the full glory of God because it would overwhelm a sinful man and, and bring him to death. But God appeared in a real and meaningful and tangible way to Abram. And he didn't just appear, but he also made another promise. To your offspring, I will give this land. To your offspring, I will give this land. Now, this is huge. Because there's something important for us to remember about this guy and his wife. Abram was 75 at this point. The time by which his father had already had three sons, and one of them had passed away. Abram was 75, Sarai was 65, and Scripture tells us without any kind of softening the the, the circumstance, she is barren. She is unable to have children. So God makes this promise to Abram. I'm going to give this land to your offspring. And we read that and kind of go, okay, you know, Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had Father Abraham. Right? And we think, oh, well, we know the end of the story and how this turns out. But in this moment... This is huge. God's telling an old guy and his barren wife that they're going to have a kid. At least one, right? Seems impossible. Seems beyond hope. And yet God promises it. So I want you to hang on to that promise. Because in the next couple of weeks, we're going to see Abram's response to that promise. And how he thinks God should bring it to pass. So these two people have followed God, Abram and Sarai, and their nephew Lot, and everyone in their family, their household who came with them. They go from a place of comfort and security where they fit in with the culture, and they are well off, and they have a name for themselves, and they abandon it all to go to nowhere Canaan, live in tents the rest of their life, Literally, lived in tents the rest of their life. Not in tents, like, but in a tent the rest of their life. In order to follow after a God who just came to him out of nowhere and said, Hey, follow after me, I'm worth following. Hebrews 11 gives us a little bit more information about Abram who becomes Abraham, and Sarah, or Sarai, who becomes Sarah. Therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, this promise to have an offspring, it actually takes God another 25 years before it comes to pass. From one as good as dead came offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and as innumerable as the grains of sand along the seashore. Those of us who know our biblical history, those of us who know our history in general, we understand that Abram, who becomes Abraham, and Sarai, who becomes Sarah, they are the very beginning of the Jewish people, who over history have become 
just innumerable in, in counting, and, and they have faced great persecution, and they have faced great suffering, and yet there they are. The results of one man and one woman and their faithfulness to surrender and follow after God. But what's even better than that is it's not just the Jewish people who are the descendants of Abram, who would become Abraham, and Sarai, who would become Sarah. But instead, Galatians 3.8, the Apostle Paul writes and tells us, Now the Scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles, everyone else in the world outside of Abram's family, by faith, and proclaimed the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed through you. In other words, what's going to happen is that Abraham, Abram who becomes Abraham and Sarai who becomes Sarah, they're going to have a son who has a son who has a couple of sons, one of which has some sons, and then a few hundred years pass and we have some more sons and a son and there's some women thrown in there, by the way, just because it takes those to make sons. And, and then we get to Jesus. And all of a sudden, there's this son with a mother who came from Abraham all the way back there, who came from Adam before him, and then we're going to see all of the nations being blessed through Abraham because if you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. God fulfilled this promise toward Abraham, this promise of if you'll give up everything and be a blessing and be a ministry to the world representing me, I will bless everyone through you. And that comes through Christ Jesus, the descendant of Abraham, through whom anyone that believes can now be a child according to the promise a child of Abraham, which is why we sing the song in Sunday school. And I'm one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right? Father Abraham. Yeah. All in. That's my favorite one. So what we see unfolding before us, God specifically calls one man and his family to give up everything and follow after him. And what's the result? Church today. We're here. We're saved. We have an eternity that is secure. Because Abram and Sarai were faithful. Because they responded to God. And they said, we will give up everything and follow after you. Jesus was born. And we have the opportunity to be saved. It's huge. Just the faithfulness of one old pagan rich dude means you get to go to heaven and then eternity in a new heaven and new earth and a resurrected body. All because he was willing to give up everything that made him who he was and follow the voice of a God who had just introduced himself to him. So what are some, some things that we can, we can grab a hold of, we can take home for ourselves regarding this life and what we understand about God? 
number one, it's important for you and I to understand that God's plan for mankind's redemption has always been a certainty. God is never in the business of playing catch-up. Like, oh my goodness, I didn't know you were going to do that. How can I make things better? When we read into Genesis chapter 3, God knew the fall was coming and had a plan for mankind's redemption even before mankind fell. So that when he pronounces that curse upon the serpent and then that promise of a man who would crush the serpent's head even as the serpent bit his heel, he had in mind exactly how your redemption and mine was going to unfold throughout the course of history. And just as much as as his plan, we can see it in the Old Testament, gets us from the offspring of Eve and Adam and Seth and Noah and Abram, and it takes us through Isaac and Jacob and Judah and Rahab and Ruth and David, and it gets us to a virgin in in Nazareth, in Roman-controlled Israel. We we end up with God has always had a clear plan for what he was going to do in regard to sin. And and when we start with Jesus and we work down the line to to where we are today and your personal salvation, God has always had a plan. The person who shared the gospel with you, that's who God wanted to use to save your soul. And if we were to begin to trace our our lineage, our, our, our salvation lineage back down the line, we might find some crossovers, you know, with somebody else has a family member that got saved at Billy Graham Crusade, and, and we, we have so many people that attribute their salvation to his ministry. That was always God's plan. God always wants to redeem his people, and he's always in control of the circumstance, and it, it began on that same day that mankind fell, and it continues here in our study today with Abram, and it's going to continue on through the rest of the Old Testament. And we should get excited when we see this. God's not playing catch-up. God's not trying to figure out how he's going to do it. This has been his plan from the beginning. And we should walk in faithfulness in response to the commands and the requests that he gives us. Because we never know what the ultimate result will be. Do you think when God said to Abram, I'm going to make you a great nation and bless everybody through you, do you think Abram thought of us? I don't think so. But man, I, I... I know he will be rejoicing and is rejoicing even now to see what God has done with his simple act of obedience. And so if we believe that God has a plan, if we believe that he seeks to redeem mankind through even old rich pagans, how much more can we believe that he seeks to use us See, God's plan for mankind's redemption has always involved God calling out specific individuals to work through. We see today Abram and Sarai, he called them out because he wanted them to become a witness to the world around them of his love and his desire for relationship. And we see it unfold over generations, how the nation of Israel develops and becomes this shining light this beacon for the whole pagan world saying there is one true God and there is a right way to worship him. Come be part of it with us. And it brings us to Jesus who says there is one true God and I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to him but through me and I am him. Would you follow after me? 
And he's called us out today as individuals. Many of us, we know he's called our name. We're saved. Our eternity is secure. But he also has a plan for redeeming others through the call on your life. (laughs) Redeeming others through the call on your life. Sorry. I was doing okay up until that last big clank. So we're good. Has he got a lunchbox? I'm going to bring my lunchbox next week. It's cool. Uh, All right, sorry. Um, God's plan has always been to call out. Okay, so, um, sorry. Here's the deal. We're all called. If we are believers, we're all called. Especially we're called to a newness of life. We're called to ministry. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Consider where you started. Abram and Sarai, old pagans. God called them out of their culture and said, follow after me. I want you to think about who you were when you were called, Paul says to the church in Corinth. And I say to you today, not many were wise from a human perspective. Don't raise your hand if this describes you. But you, you get it, right? Not many of us were wise from a human perspective. Not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. You might say, but I'm nobody, I'm nothing. And God says, you're right, and that's why I chose you. That's why I want to use you. It's why I want to glorify myself through you. It's why you're a perfect tool in my hand to change the world around you. Because you understand that you aren't the most important thing in this world. I am. But the thing about God's calling is it's also a costly calling. Jesus says this to those who would follow after him. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You'll keep my commands. You'll keep these things that I've asked of you, that I've required of you. You'll keep these things if you genuinely are following after me and loving me. He says in Luke 9, 23, he says, uh, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. It's a similar calling to what Abram received. Deny everything that makes you significant. Deny everything you thought you knew about this life. Deny everything the culture says is important about you. Turn it aside and genuinely follow Jesus. That's the call we have all received as believers. Deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow after him. This verse, the Apostle Paul is talking about Christians and and what it costs to actually follow after Christ. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. What will it cost you to follow Jesus Christ in obedience and be used by him for the redemption of others like he did with Abram? It will cost you everything that you have thought was important in your life, all the things that you thought identified you, everything that you held on to and celebrated and partied and, you know, thought was the greatest, God says, that can't be you anymore if you really want to be used, if you really want to be part of this call. And Paul says to the church there, he says, and some of you used to be like this. Not some of you are, 
But some of you used to be like this. In other words, when we submit ourselves over, when we walk away from that pagan land to the land that Christ has called us to, there should be a change in how we live and what we count as important. And we get to celebrate because we used to be like that. We used to be pagans. We used to be sin-laden, celebrating, terrible folk. But now, we're washed. In other words, God sees us as clean through Christ Jesus. We are sanctified, set apart as holy. You were justified or made right with God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so, just to, to try and apply this story of Abram and Sarai to ourselves, it's so important, first of all, to celebrate what they did for us. Isn't it so cool that the faithfulness of this one dude in Ur has brought about your salvation today? It, it, it set the stage, it planted the seed for the Savior to be born, that you might be redeemed. How much more might your faithfulness today, your willingness to abandon, to, to let these things that used to be important to you become nothing as you follow after Christ in eager anticipation that you will be a blessing to others and that someone might come to know Him as Lord and Savior because of your willing sacrifice. Now, the Christian life, it's not about not having fun, right? It's about enjoying things differently and enjoying different things. God's not a killjoy, but He does expect holiness. God is not trying to hold us under His thumb, but what He wants us to do is to stand back and say, Amen, and submit ourselves to His loving guidance and His plan for our lives. So, as we wrap up our, uh, our time this morning and the worship team gets ready to come up and close us out, I just want to encourage you to move in a couple of things, to have confidence or faith in God and His plan. And what that means is, some of you maybe need to take that first step and trust that He really does love you and He really does long to be in relationship with you and to trust on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Others of you this morning, you might be moving into this place where you need to have confidence in God's plan. When he says, I want you, I want to use you, I want you to do this ministry, you don't sit back and go, yeah, I don't know, I'm too old, I'm too young, I, I have this thing about me. Instead, you say in faith, yes, Lord, use me, and you're willing to leave behind whatever you have to in order to be obedient to the call that God has on your life. And so I want you to consider your calling and its cost. First of all, you don't have to be called to ministry to be called to holiness and faithfulness as a believer. That list of things that we looked at earlier, those things that Paul says nobody who has them as their defining characteristic will enter into the kingdom of God, it means if you define yourself in any of these ways, as if these are your dominant characteristics, you are not genuinely saved. Consider your calling. It will cost you all of these things and more. But consider, consider the results. More people in eternity. More salvations. More glory to God. 
if you will only walk in faithfulness. And so this morning, as we think about Abram and Sarai, as, they, as we think about God's call on their life and, and the, his call on our life, may we be more like Abram in every circumstance, that when we hear God's voice, we do as the Lord tells us. When there's a clear call on us, when he says move and do and surrender and come and belong or abandon, that we walk in obedience to what he has said. May it be so. And I guarantee that faithfulness today, like Abraham expressed in about 1922 B.C., will result in fruitfulness tomorrow as we see ourselves as the fruit of Abram's faithfulness. So that faithfulness today will result in, result in fruitfulness tomorrow in the lives of others we work with in this church. Let's pray together and then we'll sing. Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. And help us to look at Abram and Sarai, Abraham and Sarah, and to understand that they set the ball rolling. They set the stage for our very salvation today because of their faithfulness, because of their willingness to step out and be obedient. So today, help us to see that and to be inspired to trust in you, to be faithful and obedient to the things that you've called us to, to set aside the sin that so easily entangles, to no longer define ourselves by the ways of our pagan world, but instead to call ourselves washed and sanctified and justified and renamed by you. Knowing that when we are faithful, you will bless both ourselves and others around us as we share your good news. Set the stage for redemption in someone else's life, Father, by calling us out and convicting us to be faithful today. In the name of Jesus, we pray this morning. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Gracious. 
call that was on Abram's life is honestly on our lives as well. Go, give up whatever you have to, and be a blessing that the whole world might be blessed through your faithfulness. So this morning, if you need to go, if you need to abandon, if you need to let go and be faithful, make a choice. Let today be the day where you begin your journey, you start walking that mileage, you start leaving things behind, and you allow God to use you because you're willing to be faithful and follow after Him. God bless you all this week. May you genuinely know the blessing of His presence and His voice, but understand that that requires faithfulness on your part. It requires you to surrender and submit that God might bless and work through you. I want that for all of you more than anything, is to know Him and His presence. May it be so. God bless you all. Have a great week. Don't miss out on midweek studies. Tacos on Saturday night, 1829 on Friday. Love you all. If you need anything, if you need prayer or to talk, I and the other uh, deacons and elders are available. So don't leave without dealing with